0: The content and opinion shared in this podcast represent the experiences and viewpoints of the host and his guests. They do not speak on behalf of Amazon.com, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Hello and welcome to Owning It, leading by being unapologetically you, where we talk to managers and leaders about what it takes to lead with authenticity in order to transform organizations, teams, and themselves. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Janice Farrar-Samani, an executive leader in the world of emerging technology and integration with over 20 years experience in Silicon Valley and academia. Her diverse background in digital transformations, big data analytic architecture, and community development have allowed her to found and manage the Farrarpa Samani Group, which provides consulting in business intelligence, systems modeling, and human-centered design. Welcome, Dr. Samani. Thank you. I'm extremely excited to be able to speak with you, as um, you know, our listening audience will know. Um, depending on the time of listening to this, we're at an interesting time in the world where most of us are at home, so both... Uh, you know, a tremendous amount of gratitude towards you for making the time to have this conversation with us when so many other things potentially might seem more important or might be occupying our time and our mental capacity. And to our listening audience, uh, this is a little bit different setup for us. So, there might be some background noise. You know, I have kids at home. There's construction going on outside. So, there might be a little bit of additional flavor that's added to the conversation that is unintended, but hope that will be received with, with grace. So, We like to start these conversations with kind of a high-level question, which is really just speaking to, you know, when you think about your identity, how would you go about defining who you are?
1: Well, I have to say, Matt, just to say again, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Um, That question is fundamental. And when you actually, out of the gate, asking that kind of question, you begin to think, well, who am I? You really begin to question who you are. I would describe myself as curious, long life learner, flexible, definitely a global citizen, and an entrepreneur, a parent, a wife. That's how I would describe myself. And I'm definitely passionate.
0: Ooh, I like all of those descriptions and the segue point is if you can think about maybe one or two or all, if you're able to, you know, skillfully integrate all of these into your response. But thinking about how this definition and explanation of who you are, as you've described it, has woven its way into what you might describe as what you do. So typically we might think about that as our profession or our career. There might be another definition that is more top of mind for you, but as you think about your identity, how has that been ever present in the things that you have done during your career in life?
1: Absolutely. Well, as a person of curiosity, my, the way that I think, my mindset of possibility and the what if definitely rolls into what I do. Uh, considering what goes on in society, various types of technologies, just imagining that the next technology allows for my sense of curiosity uh, to actually fall into creating different models for analyzing data, thinking about how artificial intelligence could actually play a key role in society. And uh, that of course leads into the entrepreneurial mindset but not really following the crowd, not thinking that if someone else is doing it, I should do that too because they're successful. And that actually started at a very young age for me where uh, I had the opportunity of taking programming classes. That's what they used to be called instead of coding. And they said to the students at my high school, is there anyone that would learn, it'd be interested in learning to program? And I thought, I have no idea what that is, but why not learn it? And I got on the little bus and went up to Lockheed Martin along with four other people and being the only female and had the opportunity of learning how to code in COBOL and FORTRAN, which are the foundational coding languages that we use today. So being that trailblazer and really not following what maybe some of the other students were doing after school, and allowing myself to branch into new opportunities and new learning. And who's to say where that would take me? So it was very interesting. It became somewhat of a 360 for me because I began to really branch into economics looking at uh, various societies. And as a global citizen, that really played into form and traveling the world and understanding various systems and how business is developed and how companies and as well as governments and society work together and integrate to make a better world, if you will, and a better good. And so that was a continual uh, learning process. And as you know, I love to learn. I have several degrees. I'm working on my second doctorate now. And all of that just falls into this continual integration of who people are, society, and how they actually form businesses and how they can build economic systems that actually make a better society.
0: As you describe the experience or the opportunity around taking this programming class, I'm going to slow myself down and preface this with my mama taught me better than to, uh, you know, make commentary about a woman's age. However, I know that when I was going to high school, even college, you know, classes around programming or, um, you know, any sort of software development or anything of that nature, just I didn't have those opportunities. Um, And so what's animating my thinking is a question around at the time, given that this was at least probably a couple of decades ago. Did you realize the weight of that opportunity or what that opportunity actually was? You had mentioned, you know, being the only female that was participating in the opportunity. But as that opportunity was sort of laid before you of taking this initial programming class at a young age, did the opportunity or the weight of the opportunity, did it hit you? Did you realize it? Um, it Can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Certainly. No, not at all. I was told and indoctrinated, you're going to be a lawyer. Uh, So that really was the form that I was taking when I was in school, being part of the, the leadership and class president and that student body, senate and all of that. And when I took that class, it was just an extraordinary opportunity to learn something different. And To put it into forward thinking, I had no idea that eventually that would be my area of continual passion and a driver for me to learn more and to integrate that into a real business and to set a trajectory for the development and my career. No idea whatsoever. But just those little nuggets, just those opportunities, as I mentioned, throughout our lives, if we think about how we go through our journey and all of those things that we pick up along the way is really who makes us who we are
0: and one of the things that you know insight that I'm having is sort of the distinction between being curious, which you are demonstrating in spades and this other element of also risk taking I think as you know professionals, one of the things that has happened in my career that has happened in many of in the careers of many of the people that I speak with is to your point, there's sort of a path that's laid out in front of you. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to get these grades. I'm going to, you know, do this internship. And then an opportunity like the one you described presents itself. You take a risk, and then the rest is, so to speak, history. It's led to, a, you know, a, a tremendous career for you in a field that probably wasn't part of the initial plan. So could you speak really quickly maybe to some additional risk taking that's happened in your career maybe a you know kind of a formative experience outside of that one that you've had in the last several years that has really shaped who you are as a leader.
1: <laughs> that's an excellent question. Some of my risk taking I would say really has played into form um as a mother and parent as I also mentioned to you and When, after graduate school, I was at home with my children and raising, this was a decision that my husband and I had made that I would stay at home and uh, be the main caretaker. And I, one day I just sat down and I just said, I know there's more for me than this. I know mothering and being a parent is a huge job, but I knew that the rigor that I went through in my institution and with the degrees that I had, there was more that I needed to do with it. There was more out there for me. And so I took a risk. I began to really think about how I could use what I studied, how I could tap into my passion and my drive and be a mother, because I wanted it all. And I knew that I could have it all. So how could that actually happen? So in doing that, I started a nonprofit for women because I knew there were other women like me. I knew that there were women that either they had gone to some academic institution and they were getting frustrated because they were at home uh, and you can only do so much in PTA. But if they were other women that really wanted to strive for more and wanted economic independence and wanted to have it all, Where were they? So I started an organization, Entrepreneurs of Silicon Valley. And these women, this was in the late 90s. And there was a whole movement of organizations actually starting at that point. And I didn't know of any others because I was at home with my children. So in doing that, I began to put out faxes, believe it or not, back in the day of the fax machine and get on emails and talk with various women that were in business. At that point, I did not have a business degree. I had an economics degree and I had an engineering degree in city and regional planning, but I did not have a business degree. And I began to think, well, do I need a business degree in order to start a business? And does this starting an organization, really measure up to a business. So that's where my learning continued. And I went on to uh, begin my doctorate program in business, actually. So in taking that risk, it was leaving my very secured dynamic of being a mom, which I was, my children were maturing at that point. And... Not being a wife, I wouldn't say full time wife, but stretching myself more so to bring in now I'm a businesswoman in addition to being a mom, being a wife. So that definitely was a risk factor. The second risk factor was starting this organization and thinking, well, really, I think there are other women like me, but Is that a real problem that you want to solve? Is that something that other people want to come along with you on your journey of trying to figure it out so you could have it all? (laughs) So that also was a risk. But then when it started, it was amazing. It was during a time in Silicon Valley that it was a boom. It was an economic boom. It was a boom of migration. So, women from various parts and various backgrounds began to come to these events. And I would say that there were networking events, but there was a huge learning component to it. Because again, I was that long life learner of trying to identify what does it mean to have it all. So, we would have various speakers and as well as myself, and we all began to talk about our journey and bringing business concepts into our lives and how our lives could actually work syncretically into business. So it was a very, very interesting, it was a huge risk because it wasn't done. Um, There were no real trailblazing organizations. There were a few that were taking on certain aspects of being a woman in business, but none that were really taking on that holistic approach. So again, that was risk-taking. And then beginning to look at it from a global standpoint and inviting everyone to the table. Because usually people work with people they know or work with a certain group. But I was saying this is a place where we all can come together. So men actually began to come. Uh, It was very interesting. So we had strong allies. We had women from Asia, we had women that were American, we had women that were African, South American and European. So it was an extreme diverse group and very intersected. And we began to identify our commonalities and grow from that. And I saw businesses spinning off. I saw the organization actually beginning to take its own form and structure to say that we could go into tech because again tech was really booming and that was a great opportunity for women to begin to invest and invest in themselves so i started a micro lending program huge risk uh whereby i was giving that was part of my philanthropy of giving uh, small loans micro loans to women that wanted to start their businesses, because sometimes it was the difference between $200 and $500, whether or not a woman could start her business. She could buy that fax machine or the computer, put a down payment on a computer. So uh, yes, those were some of the examples of taking risks, but to bring it into present day, traveling and being a global citizen and going out and working in the international realm of business is definitely risk-taking. It's an area that there isn't a playbook. So we can not necessarily predict how business is conducted locally as well as globally. So when I actually work with international companies, I identify their culture and work very closely with who they are, as well as what the scope of work is. So I can do the best job that I can do and actually fulfill what solutions they may need or what they want to achieve and the goals that they have set forth. So again, that's taking a risk being a female and working in the Middle East or working in certain parts of the world where women are not necessarily at the heads of companies and that's here in the United States as well or seen as an authority especially in tech in the cutting edge industries especially so it's all risk taking and it thrills me it makes me excited it drives me actually and I have the opportunity of fulfilling a passion and a desire to work with individuals from various cultures to work with technologies that are definitely more edgy and not everything is known about them as well as really carving out a new journey for myself and for other women
0: one of the things that I think about as you describe that is both the risk in and of itself and what that probably meant both as a woman both as a entrepreneur as being other in, in multiple dimensions the other piece of that is the reward that you can have so you know even in what you described, the multiple lives that you were able to impact from taking those risks and sort of this ambition of of having it all. The thing that's sort of resting on my mind is about, for our listening audience, you can listen to something like this and hopefully they take away a sentiment of inspiration. It's aspirational. But what isn't seen in the 20 to 40 minute soundbite of our conversation is all of the investment and sacrifice that comes in addition to just walking through the door and taking the risk. So you had mentioned, you know, it's time away from your family. It's reimagining what being a parent looks like and what your role in the home looks like. You know, there's financial sacrifices, obviously. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to how you reconcile in your own career, the trade-offs that you've made or the sacrifices that you've made in order to take those risks and to achieve those rewards, but specifically around what it's meant from an investment sacrifice standpoint and how your thinking has evolved through those investments and sacrifices.
1: Yes. Well, it is a journey. And I do believe that when I began my journey, I wanted to make sure that my time away from my family would not impact what I do in society, whether it was working in government as a volunteer or whether it as on a commission or whether it was being an advisor or mentoring others. So I brought my children along. I had three daughters and my daughters were involved from the very beginning of developing my organization. They would help with registration at the table if we had an event, they would help me plan um, licking stamps back in the day. We used to <laughs> mail things out and gather the name tags back after an event. So my girls were very involved in the very beginning, and they had a sense of community and connection. And uh, this is what Mom does when she's away from us. So there never really was a sacrifice or a trade-off of time. And quite often people talk about life work balance. Um, I believe that there's life work integration whereby there's just more pieces and the pieces, some pieces are smaller than others. And it's up to you to gauge how large that piece is and how where it fits into your puzzle and into your life. And in doing that, engaging, and sometimes they expand and sometimes they contract. It's funny because one of my mentees, he asked me, he said, Dr. Samani, I just see you doing more and more. And I ask you something and you just put it onto your plate. And I said, yes, I spin a lot of plates. And those plates, sometimes those plates things, you complete them and then they're removed from the plate. But when they come onto the plate, the plate is continuously spinning. So in that to say that there's movement there is the resizing, the reimagining, if you will, as you stated, and the opportunity to add more into the mix if it fits, if that opportunity fits, if that piece fits into what you're doing. And that allows you to build that mosaic and to build that path for your journey to fulfill and to have it all.
0: One of the things that you mentioned was around Work-life integration specifically providing the example of bringing your children to work with you and having them be involved. Uh, as was mentioned in the intro to this show, we're at a, a point in the world where lots of people are, are, are leaning into that reality where kids are making noise in the background. You know, For me personally, I have to take breaks throughout the day so I can spend time with my kids who are out of school because of the COVID-19 situation. My question to you is just around, at that time in your life, How did you navigate that? How did you um, specifically navigating the relationships with other people as, you know, your kids are with you as you're trying to work and you're integrating them into what you're doing compared to the current situation? If you have any reflection around both how you navigated it and advice to those who are trying to handle that in the current situation of integrating work life in a very um, unusual time.
1: Certainly. Well, I, I recall <laughs> that I was uh, working for a high profile nonprofit and uh, one of my daughters was very young. And so they wanted me to come to a meeting. And I said, I'd love to come to the meeting. I'd love to attend and be of value to the meeting. However, I do have my daughter with me. Are you okay with that? And Basically, and that was in a time where children did not come to work with you. They didn't even have the work (laughs) that day that they've identified now. So it's I believe it's a matter of setting the tone for the individuals that you're working with and the people that you I think that is also finding that the dynamic that you're working in is one that is a good fit for you. Because those individuals in that particular environment is such that they will receive what you will put in front of them. Meaning that the chair of the board said, yes, absolutely, because we really want you there at the meeting. So of course, I had the toys and had my daughter and put her in a place where she could actually still play and have quiet time, but yet I was there and I was present at the meeting. So I believe that in this given time of this unpredictable terrain that we're in, we can set the tone by saying, we may have sound in the background and everyone knows that they're at home. So there's that sense of what does that look like and potentially a a relatable place because we're all in this unpredictable terrain. So people are definitely I believe more understanding and more compassionate and have more empathy about different the lifestyles and the way that people are actually conducting business and because they want to get the work done. So there's that sense of well, we'll go with that and and we understand if the child runs across your video screen or needs to be held if we're in a in a conference call or something of that nature. or you need to say, "Excuse me for a moment and come back. So there's just that sense of it's it's a graceful period, I believe, and and some of that will actually be run over into post environment of what we're living in right now. I believe that people will have uh, more of a compassionate understanding. They will have more understanding of how people actually communicate. Communication is taking on a whole new dynamic and a completely different form. So that's just my advice is have an environment that is a good fit for you and understand that you can let the people in the room and at the table know that this is what the package that comes along with you is and that you will continue to be your best at the table and contribute to the dynamic.
0: And in any situation, specifically, you know, an example of the situation that you provided, there's multiple choices of how you could navigate that experience. One might be, I'm going to respectfully decline because I know that I have to bring my children to work with me and that's not something that people do. Another choice might be to try to figure out some sort of uh, child care situation. And then there's the choice that you what you ultimately decided or chose, which was I'm just going to say, hey, if you want me, this is my situation. I'm coming as I am. And, you know, this is what is going to be the most respectful to my situation. What I find, however, for most of us, including myself, we tend to hide. We don't necessarily to use some of the language that you used uh we don't set our own tone. We try to, you know, march to the beat of somebody else's drum. And you know, one of the things that you've been very vocal about is creating your own path and doing it your way. And so I really like just this maybe a to provide some additional emphasis on this reflection and advice that you provided is we just have to expose ourselves a little bit more. We have to be more real with our own situations and, you know, make that known. And part of what I'm thinking too is if we find ourselves in a situation where coming as you are and being authentic isn't isn't acceptable, we have to make some choices around if that's some place that we want to be or not. So I exactly. just appreciate the reflection that I'm getting and the you know what I'm going to take away. So I really I really appreciate that.
1: Thank you. I think the transparency factor is key, and knowing where your time is valued is also very important. And. As we conduct business, it's that relatable, relating to your family, relating to your workspace, relating personally. So that's that integration that we spoke about and um, being compassionate and understanding of others.
0: And as you described, you know, one of the hopes that you and I share is in the new Reality that is post COVID 19 that we can demonstrate, experience, feel a lot more compassion for one another. There's also the practicality of work will change, has changed, will continue to evolve. And given your functional expertise in big data and digital transformations, I was wondering if you might provide some insight into what you perceive some of those changes in the way that we work might be over the next you know, year to five years.
1: Certainly. Lead today and prepare for tomorrow <laughs> because nothing is in stone. There is so much unpredictability, even in data. We can get a framework, but yet we can't say exactly what's going to take place. So in this unprecedented terrain that we're in, we can create new dynamics a new matrix that are multi-dimensional. And there is the heart and the head that come together and that cognitive level of being prepared for change and that people actually will be connecting differently. So the idea of taking data and building out algorithms for artificial intelligence and the use of more autonomous vehicles, say for instance, and the use of robotics and having animated individuals that actually will respond to you versus having a human being is all in the foresight of how change is going to happen. So in our present day, what I'm sensing is that we are getting conditioned for change. Change is one of the most difficult things that a human could actually go through, but that adoption is actually happening and it's happening in real time. So there is that sense of more acceptance of change. I believe that we're going to come out with that sense of increased ability to adopt and to adapt to change. And then we're gonna line it up to our various purposes and what we foresee as where we should be in our lives. So I'm thinking about our career journeys, but also where we want our businesses and our teams to go. If we're managing teams or if we're entrepreneurs or business owners, exactly where are our businesses going? So to, again, to be adaptable and that sense of understanding change and, as we understand change, that we're all going through a mourning process and how we're beginning to come out of it is to reimagine what life is like, to understand what life is like now, so that's the leading today, but also possibly what life could be and how we can move into the future of possibility, of application of data, knowing how, data can be used not only in the construct of starting a business, but how we can build new products from that. And actually, I really advocate technology for good and technology for all. So how everyone can access technology and everyone can access learning and everyone can have it all and have a good understanding and fit into society have an understanding of society as well as fitting into society. So it's going to be, this is truly a transformational period that we're going through that is going to have incredible impact on how we see the future and how we act in the future.
0: And one of the ways in which you described yourself was as a global citizen, and I'm having a reflection around this connectedness that's going to come through technology. So as we think about what will happen over the next decade specifically, or what's even happening now, as it relates to transformations in technology, the change that's coming through, the need to be more interconnected, as well as what you described in terms of your identity as being a global citizen – do you have a sense of how all of those things might adapt, change, create new definitions over the coming years?
1: Well, the initial definition of global citizen is being a traveler, being someone who may physically be in a location Uh, Through the programs that I worked with in in mentoring women around the world, I would physically travel as an ambassador to those various countries. But now what I found is that with technology, we're online, we have more conference calls, we're able to send each other emails, of course, and respond in real time. We use, we adapt ourselves to various technologies on our phone so we can actually call internationally or present internationally on our phones. So those kinds of technologies really never were in place. And so now we are leaning more on that type of connectivity versus physically traveling to the various countries. Through the Tech Woman program, I actually mentor eight women in various parts of the world at various uh, stages in their careers, and all of them have different needs. So the utilization of technology and and how I see it moving and moving forward in developing these businesses and developing various lives as a mentor is that we will be uh, leaning more on the use of conferencing, Definitely more on knowing in real time how we can respond to various problems and situations. And that actually is directly related to managing teams and being a leader within your organization is to somewhat understand what is coming down the pike and to prepare yourself and to prepare others for change and potentially what technologies may be needed and adapted. As we go through this digital era, there's definitely digital transformation that will be taking place where we will be leaning more on technology and trying to use it as a predictor, but just a predictor as framework, not so much a predictor of application.
0: And do you have a recommendation? So if I think of, you know, my role as leader, manager, you eloquently described the need for change, the resistance that we experience, but in my own readiness to change, what can I do as a leader to prepare myself for change and then potentially change the people that I am leading or prepare those that I am leading for change? What would be a recommendation of how I might start that journey for myself?
1: Definitely. I believe it's fundamental from the question that you started the podcast with, which is understanding and knowing yourself. Knowing yourself is is definitely a critical component of leading and leading effectively and, and standing in your authenticity. So in doing that, you have a sense of how you communicate Building out various communication plans are very helpful. Quite often we think of them as milestones, which is more of the telling of what you're doing, but also think of it on the flip side, which is how am I communicating and what is the best way for me to communicate? How can I reach people that actually communicate differently than I do or think differently than I do? and um, also having a sponsor roadmap. So being able to identify individuals that may not be the loudest person at the table or may not be that person in a conference call that speaks up, but they're the ones who are always muted. <laughs> so you can reach out to them and, and have a sense of what they can contribute. And again, that's building out sponsorship because you're uplifting them and you're getting to understand them and know them. And that was part of the mentor component that I spoke of earlier, is getting to know them that much better that you can bring them into the conversation and bring them, invite them to the table, if you will, when their voices are not heard. And then also the coaching and continuing mentorship of individuals in your community, as well as in your organization, either them soliciting you, coming up to you and asking you to mentor. And of course, there's filtering. You can't mentor everyone that invites you to uh, mentor them, but you can potentially coach them. And coaching is a short-term opportunity where if there's a question or a situation or a problem that they need assistance with or some advice that you can give them that's an opportunity so coaching and then training of course utilizing your skill set to train others giving them the opportunity maybe to get that crash mba you know in a couple of sessions with you and allow them to learn a new programming technology if you don't have time to assist them With that opportunity, then you could either direct them to other resources or get the kind of help that they may need. And then the resistance and resilience of management, actually standing in being a true supporter and giving positive feedback, knowing that not all feedback is good feedback, but the feedback that you give will actually elevate them and take them to the next level so they can be successful.
0: Dr. Samani, thank you so much um, for everything that you've shared with with me today, with our listening audience. You know, one of the reasons that I do this podcast is because what I know about learning is is that we learn so much through dialogue and through reflection. And I appreciate you undertaking that journey with me. And to close, I would like to just give you the opportunity to speak to any insights or reflections, aha moments that you've had over the course of our conversation today that you might uh, be willing to leave us with.
1: Well, again, thank you, Matt, for this opportunity. It was wonderful, a great experience. I would say, make it your best life. Identify your purpose and your passion and create your future by being the best that you can be. Identifying your space and standing in your space with those that are understanding of you and that you can be the best that you can be when you're with
0: them. Thank you so much. I think, you know, for myself something that I'll take away from what you've shared is, you know, making a list of the things that would contribute to me living my best life, picking one of them and be willing to change as you described during our conversation as well to make that happen. So again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your thought leadership, who you are in the world and the insights that you've shared with me and uh, our listening audience today. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.